Geek Nerdery. Player one, press start to play. Welcome to episode four of the Graveyard Duck podcast. This week we are talking Ghouls and Ghosts, developed by Capcom, published by Capcom, composed by Tamayo Kawamoto. Um, several different lit releases here. 1988, we got the arcade release. Um, 89, US release in the Amiga, US release on Genesis, and a Japan release on the Mega Drive. And then 1990, uh, got a Japanese release for the Super Graphics and the World release on the Master System. So this game has been ported and re-released many, many times, including apparently just yesterday uh, for iOS and Android. So, which the timing of that is really interesting, considering that we were doing this episode this week. Um, I can't help but think that somebody at Capcom is listening to us. I know it's a pipe dream, but uh... yeah, I mean it's it only makes sense, I think, but. <laughs> Yeah, when I saw that pop up on Twitter, I was just like, huh, well, this couldn't be more coincidental. <laughs> but, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I can't imagine that that would be um, the easiest thing to control. But hey, if you're dying to play this game and don't have a copy of it available, I think for about a $1.99 I saw, you can get it on your phone. So, Which is perfect. I mean, considering the cost of this game at release, um, especially like on the Genesis, I believe it was uh, probably $49 or $59. But uh, looking ahead a year or so on the super graphics port, uh, which is one of only like five games released for that system. Uh, that was over a hundred dollars just for the super graphics version alone. Yeah. That was 1990. It's like, <laughs> Holy crap. Right. So yeah, two bucks on the uh, app store. Like not that bad. No, not at all. All right. So let's kick this off right here. I'm sure we got a lot to talk about. Um, as we start every episode, let's talk about your memories of the game and how often you play through it. Okay. Um, I'll go ahead and start since um, it's my understanding that you actually hadn't played this game before, which I'm really uh, surprised of. So I'm really curious to hear your thoughts uh, in a little bit here. But growing up, um, obviously, I was you know a Nintendo Power subscriber. I loved reading EGM and um, video games and computer entertainment and several other magazines at the time. So um, it was always kind of a ritual for me, like if I got dragged to the grocery store or something, that I would try to beg my parents for, you know, a, a magazine, a gaming magazine. And I remember the 1989 EGM, it was one of the first ones, where um, they were just hyping Ghouls of Ghosts up. And it was, you know, towards the launch of the Genesis, and it just looked like such an awesome game. But I remember thinking to myself that I really could only, in the coming 16-bit days, I could only pick one system. And as much as I liked Ghouls and Ghosts, and I like the idea of it. I just couldn't bring myself to ask for a Genesis because that would mean that I would probably miss out on the Super Nintendo. But needless to say, um, I always followed this game. I read everything about it that I could, and I just imagined what an awesome game it could be just based off of the graphics and the screenshots alone. So I didn't actually play it 
until probably around um, in college, I was um, starting to collect a lot of retro games. And I picked up a copy um, at a pawn shop, it was really cheap, and just started playing through it. And um, it was a game that progressively I would get farther and farther, and then I'd put it down for a while, and I would come back to it, and I would get farther. And it's just been a game that I like to just uh, pull out and play once in a while and just breeze through it, uh, just because it's so rewarding once you learn how to play it. And, um, you know, once you learn what to expect from the game, that um, I think it's got a tremendous replay value. Hmm. All right. So how many, how often do you replay it now? Uh, I would say probably once every couple of months. Okay. Uh, if I'm feeling like something that I want to just sit down and uh, play through in like 20, 30 minutes, um, I can usually get through two loops in that time. So um, it's about perfect. Yeah, fair enough. Um, yeah, I can fondly remember my first memory of this game. It was about uh, three weeks ago. And <laughs> I think you texted me and said, hey, let's do Ghouls and Ghosts next episode. And I said, okay. So I tracked down a copy. And you know, <laughs> um, yeah, no, I had never played this. Um, I A little bit about my backstory. I grew up um, kind of like you. I was more a Super Nintendo person than a Genesis person. And Super Ghouls and Ghosts for the Super NES was one of the first games I owned for that system. Mm-hmm. And I, I played it at a friend's house for the first time, just immediately fell in love with it, found a copy as quickly as I could, and have played that just over and over and over and over again. Um, and have always loved it. At one point, went back and um, retroactively found Ghosts and Goblins for the NES. Um, won't spoil my thoughts on that because I'm sure it'll be an episode at some point. Same thing with Super Ghouls and Ghosts. But mm-hmm. I, so I had played those two, but I, I never found the middle one. And I, I think the best I can think of is that the reason I never played Ghouls and Ghosts was probably marketing. And okay. just because, like, you know, the Genesis came out before the Super Nintendo. So as a Nintendo fanboy growing up, I was always kind of under the impression, eh, Genesis isn't as good. Um, or. You know, also, I mean, just the title. You know, as a kid, you see ghouls and ghosts, or you see super ghouls and ghosts. Like, sure. well, I already have the better copy, right? It's the super copy. So, I, I don't know what the real reason was, but that's the Nintendo marketing that was working. Yeah, exactly. Because every game, you know, had to be super. Yes. Yeah. So, if you know, for various different reasons, I never went back and found ghouls and ghosts or played it. And um, so, yeah, it wasn't until you mentioned that, hey, we should do this. This is one of my favorites, and I'm like okay, yeah, this will be fun. And I was thinking this will be a fun way for me to kind of compare and contrast, you know, to one of my favorite games and just see like, yeah, what's a slightly different version of it. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I tracked down the Genesis copy and played through it a couple of times over the last couple of weeks. Um, and then also then went and found a master system copy and played through that a couple of times over the last couple of weeks. Mm-hmm. So it's been something that I've, you know, been playing to death over the last, uh, I'd say three weeks since we announced this, but uh, yeah, first time for me. So let me ask you this. Um, Did you initially, because it seems like since ghouls and ghosts and super ghouls and ghosts are um, so similar, did you initially, were you confused um, as to thinking that they were both the same game or, because I know sometimes that um, there's a little bit of confusion, you know, if we talk about ghouls and ghosts that, you know, somebody, oh, I played the super Nintendo one or I played it on that, Uh, but they are actually, two different games i mean they're there's you know one's a sequel but they're so similar as far as you know some of the opening stages and the mechanics of it there are some slight differences but i was just curious if uh, you know if, if you noticed the difference at all 
Uh, yeah, I mean, and a lot of it, like before I really got into the meat of the game and some of the later stages, my preconceived notions was just that it was a port difference, you know, like okay. the Genesis Aladdin versus the Super Nintendo Aladdin were two totally different games, even though they're mm -hmm. both the same story. Sure. So I just kind of assumed that it was uh, the Genesis did it one way and Super Nintendo did it another way. Mm. As I started doing more research and saw that, okay, this wasn't just Genesis. You know, this came out for Arcade, Amiga, uh, CP system, Commodore 64. I mean, just Everything. there's at least a dozen systems that this game yeah. has come out for. Yeah. It, this was a huge game of 1989. I mean, really right. Was. Right. And so it's like, okay, so clearly this was like the real version and the one that I grew up with was kind of the knockoff. And so mm -hmm. I always had that backwards. Okay. Um, so yeah, going through, I guess I'll just go ahead and, you know, blurt it out that, um, I want to just say thank you for introducing me to this game. Cause it's now one of my favorites. You're this, <laughs> this was amazing. Um, mm -hmm. I think it's a ton of fun. I think it honestly blows super ghouls and ghosts out of the water. Mm -hmm. Um, there's a lot of things I love about that game, but there's also a lot of things that I think are just style over substance. Um, sure, sure. And I think that one of, the, uh, maybe the two most charming things that I found about this game was just the incredibly creative level design, uh, especially mm -hmm. given what you know how little they had to work with. Um, and then also just, it's, it found that perfect balance between challenge and simplicity. And um, I think that like that's where retro gaming really thrives is when you can find those games that they're they're so easy to pick up, they're so easy to learn. You don't need to read an instruction manual or spend hours in a tutorial. <clears throat> you can literally pick up a controller and within thirty seconds figure out what you're supposed to do. Um, but they're so challenging that you could spend you know your entire lifetime constantly finding new things and even though I was able to play through this game, you know, two or three different times over the last couple of weeks without ever having played it before, that doesn't diminish the challenge that it has. And it's still mm -hmm. a very frustrating and challenging game to where it makes me want to play it again. Because every time I play it, I know that I'm not going to be bored. I'm not going to be, you know, just going through the motions. There's something, you know, there, there's something that's making a seasoned gamer, you know, have to struggle when they play it and that's really rewarding and rare. So, yeah. yeah. And I think one of the other reasons that I come back to this game so much is, um, you know, not only does it, the game require a fair amount of memorization and pattern recognition, but um, also it's not really a game that, you know, much like Castlevania or something where you can memorize the exact uh, locations of where the enemies will pop out. And so you'll know what to expect. And in, Ghouls and Ghosts, one of the things that I really like is the fact that not every enemy is going to behave the same way, and they're not always going to spawn in the same spots. Right. So um, part of the challenge is really, with this game, is being able to adapt your strategy on the fly and compensate for uh, those things that may just pop up and try to get you, um, or these gotchas. And I don't feel, initially, it's interesting because initially you, you get kind of frustrated when you're playing this game, but you come to realize that it's not really the fault of the game, but it's just punishing uh, the player as far as, you know, to, to learn how to react to certain things or how to position yourself so that you're not vulnerable uh, to those attacks. And I think that's one of the reasons why I keep coming back to it is because 
you know, you make these baby steps and you, you learn the game. And then once you're able to really master it, then it feels really satisfying to just blow through it. Exactly. And, you know, there's a, there's no denying the fact that this franchise is notable as being one of the most difficulty out there. Mm -hmm. And, um, you'll have, you know, players and gamers that will talk forever about, Oh, I've tried to beat ghosts and goblins or ghouls and ghosts, but it's like, this is the most impossible thing. If anybody says they beat it, they're lying. You know, you, you hear that kind of stuff and it, it makes sense because these are incredibly difficult games. But like you said, it's the kind of thing where, you know, the, the kind of retro gaming that I always excelled at was the platformers and the type, you know, that just required incredible patience. I don't know why I just, I have that. Mm -hmm. And so to sit there and play through the same stage over and over and over and over again until I master it. Like that's fun for me and rewarding. Mm-hmm. And, and you're right. This has just enough of a pattern that you can figure it out and with enough patience, you'll get it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that it's, it, it makes it rewarding. And, you know, as an example of that, the first time I sat down to play this, I think I texted you and said like, all right, here we go. And I spent all day Saturday doing this and it was a seven hour day for oh, yeah. the Easily. first time picking up the controller to the, you know, finally beating it second playthrough. That was a seven hour process. Um, and it was exhausting. Mm-hmm. And then I said, okay, now I want to see how hard it is to do it a second time. Mm-hmm. And the second playthrough was three hours. Um, then I got the master system copy, eh, but it's like, you know, each time it's just that much quicker. And so it could very quickly become one of these, just standard rotation games that you know i could play over a lunch break maybe or mm-hmm. you know something sure. but yeah so i i really enjoyed it i think that you know not to make this all about the franchise but i think ghosts and goblins is a little bit too simplistic it doesn't have enough going for it it's just challenge for the sake of challenge and i think super ghouls and ghosts was too much style too much fanciness and not enough you know f- creativity i guess sure. whereas this just found that right balance um so I, uh, on that, I wanted to go through some of the levels a little bit because I just one of the things that I just loved about this is every level that I got to, I was just kind of like smiling, seeing how clever and creative and imaginative they all were. Sure. Um, um, before you get to that, though, I wanted to add one, uh, one quick thing um, as far as the difference between uh, this game and its sequel on the Super Nintendo. And I think what makes this one more enjoyable is the fact that you can fire above and below your character and you can't do that in any of the other um games up to i can't remember you might be able to do it on the psp ultimate ghouls and ghosts but um, i think that's what makes this version more fun for me is it gives you another um another avenue in which to attack your enemies being able to fire up and fire down and i think that that dramatically changes the gameplay because and we'll cover it in super ghouls and ghosts but in Super Ghouls and Ghosts, you don't have that ability to fire up and down um, above and below your character, but you have a double jump, which changes the gameplay to more of a puzzle-type platformer. And this one feels like more like a solid run-and-gun, like almost um, like a Contra or a Metal Slug. Right, yeah. Yeah, I would agree with that. And that was one of those weird things that was hard to get used to when I first started playing this because I was used to the double jump and... I was not used to shooting above me or below me. And so trying to get used to that was a, a much different dynamic. Sure. But, sure. All right. So let's run through some of the levels real quick, um, just real briefly. And then we'll get to some of the differences between regions and uh, also the different ports. But um, yeah, I, I, 
I, I don't know. I don't want to spend a ton of time on this. I just think that there were some that were so clever and fun. Um, the haunted graveyard right out of the beginning, it just felt so dark. Um, I mean, the, I think every game in this franchise starts in a graveyard, but this is the uh-huh. only one where there's like guillotines on top of piles of skulls. Right. And, the and guillotine. crucifixes that have like skeletons hanging from them. Like it's just such a dark and disturbing. It's like somebody who made this is demented. Um, mm. But I am too. So it was like right up my alley. But sure. <laughs> um, so yeah, it's like th- it was just fun. Um, as you start getting a little bit further, you know, can I get to the second half of stage one? They um, they started playing with like some of the effects, and it's like you could tell that as they were making this game, they they looked at every possible mechanic of the arcade and said, "What all can we pull out?" And so mm-hmm. when you start having like, okay, now there's this small little section where there's wind and rain, and it's like pushing you back, and it's a small, subtle little thing, but it's enough to feel like it's not just a straight you know linear platformer Um, and it changes your strategy too because then you have enemies that are sort of flying in these erratic patterns and occasionally they'll stop so you have to compensate for where they're going to be in addition to the rain and the wind pushing you back right uh level two is the village of decay which i just loved this because it's probably the most annoying level for me Mm -hmm. but the background like just told such a story even though it's nothing Mm -hmm. but like it's this there's all these windmills it's this decayed village there's like these giant blobs of slime that are just like half engulfing windmill buildings it's like i don't know what happened here but it's like i want to see a movie of this because that's really interesting then you get to the village of fire there's uh the tower um I think that the next really notable level is the second half of stage three, where there's these giant stone columns that their tongues mm-hmm. are, you know, sticking the out everywhere. And tongues. that that's your platform. Uh-huh. Um, and they move in and out, they kind of wiggle up and down, but it's just a simple little layering, you know, tiling thing, but it's enough to add some extra depth. And at first I was just like, Oh, that's a clever way to kind of, you know, add, you know, a little bit of a three dimension to the level. But then the first time I stood on a tongue too long and it pulled me back to the mouth and I got eaten by the background. It's like, okay. Like, didn't expect that, did you? No. Um, or the fact that you have to crouch underneath uh, certain ones as you're riding, you know, the tongue up to the next part and then leap over, you know, an obstacle of some sort. So there's some, there's yeah. some platforming in there too. It's very difficult, but it's, it's not just a straight, path like it's it's very creative and very um in a, in a weird way to say it's very beautiful to look at so it's not you know it doesn't get boring because sure. it, it would it's just fun to watch um, ask you this um going back to the um the village on stage two how many bridges did you fall through when you were going through that that uh second oh, part? all of all of them <laughs> <laughs> yeah it took me all, a good all of them every time yes. learn exactly where each of those spots were because every time I would think, oh, there's not one here, and then I would fall through and get eaten. Yeah, I, I haven't learned where they all are, but I did learn that there's one directly over top of one of those sandworms, so don't uh-huh. jump there. But right. uh, otherwise, you can if you fall through, you can you know hurry your little ass up and, up the hill enough to get away. But um... it's it's frustrating enough until you learn it, and then it's fine. But there for a little bit, it's just like you know one of them falls and you jump over it. And then you fall through the one right next to it because they placed one, you know, yep. side by side. 
Oh, they, they knew yeah. what they were doing there. Absolutely. But um, no, and I mean, you just summed up the whole game is it's frustrating at first until you kind of learn what you're doing. And mm -hmm. I think the difference between a player who's going to find a game like this rewarding versus a person who's going to find this game just infuriating is, are you able to recognize the fact that it is a pattern mm -hmm. and it, it is predictable and it is, you know, doable. Um, right. But it takes a certain amount of skill and um, adaptability to be able to overcome it. Exactly. Right. Yeah. yeah. Which, and this is probably kind of a lazy comparison to make, but I equate ghouls and ghosts to be sort of the 16 bit version of dark souls in a way, because I feel the same way about dark souls as I do about ghouls and ghosts where, you know, I'll play through it and I'll make, you know, mini school progress or I'll constantly get killed by a certain boss, but then I change up my pattern a little bit or I have a little bit of luck and I do a little bit better and I keep coming back to it. So, um, I think that's another bonus to uh, to these styles of games is that there's a lot of satisfaction there. Right. And, and the, the difference is like some players are going to find that satisfaction and see it as rewarding. Mm -hmm. Others don't. Sure. And, you know, I go back to an old roommate I had who I think it was actually with Ghosts and Goblins. He watched me play that for like six hours one day. And he's like, I don't understand how you can just keep dying and keep playing the same level over and over and over again. And I said, because you notice that every time I do, I get a little bit further. Mm -hmm. And I said, that's the reward. And eventually I'll get through the whole thing. And versus when he would try it, he'd, you know, die three times in a row and be like, fuck it, I'm done. And <laughs> there, there's just a different level of like that kind of risk reward or, you know, how much satisfaction you get from that. And some mm -hmm. players have it, some don't. Yeah. But well, and it could also be so, sort of a product of our time as well, because, you know, growing up, we didn't have access to a lot of games or if you rented this game, you might be stuck with it for a weekend. So it wasn't like you could just immediately turn it off at the first sign of frustration and move on to the next game on the backlog. I mean, right. Uh, I, uh, I well, and also, no, you're absolutely right. And I think it also sure. plays into the fact that like, because games like this didn't have a save function, they didn't have mm -hmm. passwords. They didn't have any of that. Okay. You're at stage four. You're frustrated as hell. You've been spending hours on this but you know that it's like, well, if I quit, I've got to do it all over again. Mm -hmm. So is it better to go through that or just press on and see if I can make it a little bit further? And yeah. Well, and you do have I a little bit of continues. I mean, there is that to right. kind of balance it out. Right. But know. yeah, so it's, it's just whether or not you're willing to try to redo all of that. And so... Yeah, yeah I just think that that could be kind of a hurdle for, um, for some players that may be approaching this game for the first time that uh, maybe aren't as um, savvy with uh, retro games as, yes. as some people, I guess. And it, yeah, it just absolutely. depends. But I think if you really you know stick to it, I think that you'll find the process um, enjoyable and rewarding. That's why I'm really interested to see how well this new um, iPhone or smartphone version sells, because mm -hmm. I don't know how many modern gamers are going to find this and find it rewarding versus mm -hmm. just infuriating and, you know, dumb <laughs> to be perfectly honest but uh, it just depends i i mean i really do enjoy the series though even though i i still feel this is my favorite one but uh the if you haven't checked it out though the psp one is just a thing of beauty because it's it's a gorgeous looking game it adds so much more stuff to it um, and then there was even a re-release in japan that kind of um, tweaked a few things and changed it sort of back to the old school feeling too the psp that's is that a port of the arcade no, it's a brand new game. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. All right. So, Goblins, I think, is what it is. Okay. 
yeah, that's a good lead way into discussion on just kind of talking about some of the differences here, which um going to be a fairly lengthy discussion because there are just so many different versions of it that mm-hmm. are mostly the same but have little intricacies. Um, regionally, though, there isn't a ton. Like when you compare most of the you know Japanese releases versus the U.S., um, most of what I could find, and you could correct me if you find or know anything else, but like it was mostly translation. Although, like when it comes to the hidden chests, uh, the U.S. had armor far more frequently. Like every other chest is armor right. in the U.S. Um, the bosses are slightly easier, and there's more checkpoints. There's like a checkpoint before each boss, right. whereas in the Japanese release, it was what just at the midway point, I think, instead of right before the boss yeah, as well. Yeah, the arcade version doesn't give you a checkpoint if you die at the boss. You just you go back to the the stage midpoint. But I think yeah. on this one, like you said, with the treasure chest, I know after the first one, if you kill the magician that pops out of the first one, the second one is almost always going to be an armor upgrade. But you have to, I think you have to kill the magician first to be able to trigger that. I could be wrong. In what version? In the, the Genesis version? No, that is not true. Really? Because it seems like it happens to me all the time. Um, Maybe it's, it's, a, it's a little bit tricky and confusing, but basically like the, the sequence of what pops out of the chests in the Genesis version is dependent on what armor you're wearing. Okay. So if you're, if you're wearing the, the silver armor as you find the chest, it'll be a certain sequence. If you're you know, without armor, it's a certain sequence. If you're gold armor, it's a certain sequence. If you switch your armor mid-sequence, it changes it. Huh. Um, but whatever it is, one thing I did learn is all you have to do is make the chest appear. You do not have to open it. Really? Okay. Yes. So, like, that, you're right. Like, in, in a st- it, huh. yeah, in a standard game of the Genesis, like, if you start start a stage with the silver armor, the first chest you're going to find is going to be the magician. The second chest is going to be um, the gold armor. The third chest is going to be a weapon. Um, but that once you find that first chest, don't open it. And it, whether you open it or not, the next chest will be armor. So, okay. so you're saying you don't have to kill the magician then to nope. trigger the sequence. Okay. Don't even have to open the chest. Huh. Well, I still like killing the magician anyway. <laughs> yeah, little bastard. <laughs> Um, no, so, so may, the big difference is that I did know, um, I didn't have a ton of experience playing the arcade, um, mm-hmm. but I played through, like I said, the, the Genesis version a couple of times, the Master System version a couple of times, and there's a very big difference there. Mm-hmm. Um, the, so for, for any listeners who are you know familiar with one version versus the other, you probably know the Genesis um, that's the same one that was in the arcade and most of the ports kind of follow that yeah. uh, trajectory. The master system, it, it, it changed a lot of things. Um, most notably was there's an extra level of armor upgrade. Um, you, you basically have four different things that you can upgrade with your equipment, your helmet, your armor, your boots, and your weapon. Um, and even within the armor, it's not just gold or silver to gold. It's silver to red to green to gold. Um, so three different pieces of armor, four different degrees of upgrades. It's a lot of changes. Um, and well, that also affects the magic too, doesn't it? Yeah. So basically the, the way it works is as your boots go from silver to green or silver to red to green to gold, your speed and jumping ability get better. Mm-hmm. Um as your armor, the actual chest piece itself, goes from 
silver to red to green to gold, you get an extra air quotes hit point. So like normally it, you know, when you have the silver armor, it takes one hit, then you're naked one hit, you're dead. Once you go up to the red armor, it takes two hits to lose the armor before you're naked green. It takes three gold. It takes four hits. So with, I think they have a, there's a little HP meter on the upper right, isn't there? Yeah. It's over on the right hand side. It shows how many hearts and when, when they're gone, then you lose your armor. So upgrading your, you know, breastplate gives you a lot more hits, which is a significant advantage um, compared to the other games, you know, being able to take five hits before you die versus two. Yeah. Um, Well, it's, it's almost like they've added some RPG elements into it. Yeah, a little bit to upgrade things and in the sense of of feeling more powerful as you're progressing through the game. Right. Uh, the helmet. Each time you get a better helmet. So the the magic is a little bit different in this one. Um, in the Genesis and the arcade version, like you don't have magic till you have gold armor, and then you have one spell, and it's dictated by whatever weapon you're currently carrying. Right. In the Master System version, right from the start of the game, you have two different spells to choose from, and you can equip either one. Um, and then each helmet upgrade you get gives you a different spell or a, an additional spell, I should say. Um, so it's it, it's just a little bit of a, of a different way that you can kind of tweak your character. And like you said, at the start of the game, you're basic. You have very little. By the end of the game, you feel like you've kind of powered up and really accomplished something. Um, mm-hmm. And compared to the Genesis version, when you die in the Master System version, any upgrades that you've already ac- acquired, you still have them. So right. you don't, you never lose that or have to backtrack. Um, the way you get the upgrades is a little bit weird because basically anytime you open a chest in the Master System version, it's only one of two things. It's either the Magician or it's this weird portal door. And mm-hmm. when you go in there, there's somebody that is basically giving you your choice of three different possible upgrades, either one of the three armor types or your weapon. Um, and the weapons kind of upgrade in a kind of linear sequence from the lance to the dagger to the axe to the discus to the uh, torch. Um, but like, it's it's a it's a weird system like that. So it's I, I don't know. It's to some degree I think it's kind of fun to have that because, like I said, you do feel really overpowered by the end of the game and you feel like you've accomplished something. Um, but it also just felt very cheap and almost too easy. Um, considering you're basically by the end of the game, like I said, you've got five hit points before you die. You can pick what spell you want. Like it's just it, when you do die or continue, you still have all this stuff. Like it was, it was like the easy mode or the game genie version of the game is kind of how it felt to me. A little bit, but I feel that that's also balanced out by the fact that the play control is pretty terrible at times, where um, Contr- you might slip off a ledge or it's like really hard to kind of position yourself to a jump. At least it happened to me a couple of times where uh, I thought I was on the edge and jumping towards the next platform and I would fall through and die. Yeah, the controls are really bad, but they get much better as you get your boots upgraded. Um, By the time you get to, say, the green or the gold boots, uh, mobility really is not a problem anymore. Mm. So I wonder if then that was, and that's an odd design decision, I guess, then if that was intentional to make the controls kind of slippery at first because... Um, like you said, once you do upgrade, then it gets a little bit easier. But I feel like, I mean, as far as um, someone who is playing this for the first time, uh, like for me, for instance, this was the first time I actually played through the Master System one. Uh, it's not readily apparent that that it's not just poor programming. Yeah. I guess. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. I think some of it's going to be a difference between 
going back and playing it for research purposes like we did versus mm -hmm. if you were a kid finding it for the first time. Yeah. Um, well, also, too, I don't think, and I may be wrong on this, but I don't think this actually got released in the U.S. on the Master System. I think it was Europe only. Because the Master uh, System yeah, I don't know. popular in Europe and Brazil and most of the rest of the world, actually, and continued long after it was canceled here. Because I know the cart itself goes for probably pretty close to 100 bucks. It's it's decently expensive. Yeah, I knew they called it a world release, but I wasn't sure like what... Or unless it How was extensive that I met. So, yeah. Because there were a couple of games, uh, Power Strike 2 and a couple other ones that you had to order directly from Sega. So it could have been maybe mail order only. I don't know. Hmm. Yeah, all in all, I definitely would say that the... Um, holy shit. What was that? Did you hear that? Did you yeah. hear that? What was that? Big old lightning storm outside. Oh, geez. Um, are you recording this from the graveyard? Is the uh, Are there zombies just crawling up out of the ground? You know, you, I'm looking outside. I don't. And you were recording this in a cemetery. It's yeah. I was looking for you know some ducks. I don't see any outside, but okay. maybe they're coming. Yeah. Um. Yeah. I mean, I think that the Master System version is fun. You know, again, in that like, I have this sadistic you know way of playing games that I like to punish myself with incredibly challenging games, mm. and that that definitely did it. Um. All in all, I don't think it's as good. Um, the Genesis no, but, version and the arcade version are just way better. Um, considering the limitations of the Master System, though, I'm amazed that they pulled it off as well as they did. I mean, even though considering that going into a boss area, you have to go through the door and it's a separate screen, I mean, the bosses are still detailed pretty well, I think. I think the music's pretty decent for what it is. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, overall, I think for that system, it's better than I would have expected. Yeah, that's fair. Uh, I mean, and for a 1990 release, like that's pretty late in the yeah. um, for the third generation consoles. So this would have been one of the best titles for the Master System, you know, just mm -hmm. in terms of its you know capabilities and graphics and sound and everything else. Yeah, they were still getting a lot of Genesis ports early into the Genesis life. I mean, it wasn't uncommon to find you know versions of Sonic the Hedgehog and uh, Michael Jackson's Moonwalker on the Master System. Right. It's right. not a fear, but yeah. So I don't know. I would say if you are new to the franchise and have not, or new to the game that is, and have not played it, uh, I would definitely go try to seek out Genesis copy, um, the mm -hmm. arcade copy. Uh, they're not hard to get a hold of. Um, yeah. They're, or the if Genesis. you have more money than sense, you could always get a Super Graphics and you know, <laughs> port for the Super Graphics. Yeah, but, you know, and if if, uh, if you really love your new favorite podcast and want to just send us copies of it, you could do that too. But. Right. Um, no, the the Genesis. What's that? What's that? No, go ahead. Which, um, no, I was just saying that like the the Genesis cartridge is not expensive. Um, no, no, not at all. And in fact, I think if you still have a Wii or a Wii U, the um, they put the the Genesis version on the virtual console. So for what six mm -hmm. bucks, you can you can go yeah. get it right now. Um, it it plays very smoothly. It's very very similar to the arcade. So you're really not even going to notice too much difference. Um, so you're you're getting as close to the original as possible and still having just a, a hell of a good solid game so yeah um, it's pretty it, close i'm really curious as to why the um opening cinematic isn't in the genesis one though because there is a brief little in the arcade yeah and the other that's one, a good a point interlude where you know uh the princess is running towards you and the bolts are coming down out of the sky and she kind of gets thrown and uh, it's just kind of strange that that's not in there at all. 
Well, there's a difference in the translations. Well, or maybe it's not a translation, but like the, um, I think it's the master system version. When I beat that one, the final text says something about, and the princess has been returned to life, mm-hmm. um, which that was something that wasn't really clear in the other versions that is like, Oh, she died. And mm-hmm. the whole point of this is you're going to basically get her soul back, you know, so that she can come back to life. Like that's very different than Mario saving the princess, you know, well, sure. just so. That makes sense. I mean, I guess considering the, uh, especially like the final boss and everything, I guess um, the whole journey toward, you know, the journey through hell to save your beloved, I guess that takes on a, a little bit more of a story. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So big thumbs up for me uh, for something that I had never, never played before and have really, you know, fond opinions of the other games in this franchise for, for the one that I had never played to now jump up and be my number one favorite is a sure. pretty remarkable feat. So were there any, um, any particular bosses that stood out for you? I mean, do you have a favorite one at all or anything that, uh, that you thought? Uh, cool? Yeah, I think the, the Cyclops statue in the first level is just awesome. Yeah. Um, yeah. He's, he's big, he's colorful. Um, and he's funny, you know, to, he's a statue that suddenly crumbles and comes to life. And then he takes off his own head and starts carrying it. Or like, it's, the perfect arcade game boss. Like I just, mm-hmm. I loved him. Um, sure. A couple of the others I thought were just kind of boring. Like the fire dog, I found really easy. Yeah. Um, the big cloud with the eyeball, like it just is annoying. Uh, yeah. More than more than once, I got stuck at him with the torch, which is almost impossible. Um, <laughs> so, well, that not, was another not, thing we're going to talk about in this game. We'll we'll get to it in a minute, though. Yeah, I, I know what you're getting to. <laughs> my my one moment of frustration. Sure. Um, yeah, and then the the big slug I think is is a clever boss that doesn't really require much other than incredible timing and reflexes. Um, really good hand eye coordination, especially if you're playing it on uh, professional mode. Mm-hmm. Um, so especially yeah. if you're on the second loop with the goddess weapon, it's really god damn, god damn it! I I thought the game was unbeatable. Um, <laughs> yeah. It's because I mean, flying around. Well, I, I, and the so. thing is, like, it, it's not. I like. I texted you when I got to that point, and I said, "I think I just screwed myself and can't beat the game." Mm-hmm. And it's because, yeah, on the second playthrough, I got the goddess bracelet and got there and couldn't hit him. Mm-hmm. And I knew that that was not out of the realm of possibility because if you have the sword, you literally are screwed. You can't get him. Right. So it's like, well, maybe there's there are two weapons that make this guy unbeatable and because the u.s versions of the game have a checkpoint right before the boss i have no way of backtracking and getting a different weapon mm-hmm. um and yeah it took um it took me sending you several frustrated texts um <laughs> a couple more beers and uh some more patience to finally realize like okay if you're just absolutely perfect and spend another hour and a half on this son of a bitch you can hit it and kill him and i finally did but man it was it was a nerve wracking uh, <laughs> evening. <laughs> yeah. I think out of all the bosses, I think that's the one that takes the most amount of patience and work to get through. Yes. Because there's what five yeah. different spots that you have to knock out. I mean, it seems like you could take that one and maybe the, um, the cloud or the fly one and kind mm-hmm. of switch them and it would be more difficult. Maybe. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, the the fly the the big insect thing like I found that really really challenging just because I feel like his pattern is very random 
And there are mm. times where he'll fly at you and you just can't, you can't dodge, you can't get away from him and you're going to get hit, which is frustrating. But, um, you know, what the trick is to that is that? after when he appears and, uh, you're firing at him and he shoots those, you know, three blobs or whatever, uh, right. As he's firing the third one, uh, walk behind it. And then the flies, when he transforms, they will follow where you were, not where you are. Oh, uh, okay. So That's interesting. You have to kind of, uh, kind of get behind him then right before he transforms and then he just keeps on moving in the direction that he was going in. Okay. Because otherwise, yeah, there's no way to dodge the, the flies that come at you. Right. And then, yeah, the, the last fight I think was a little disappointing just because it was so easy. Um, there's really not too much to it other than just get underneath of him and just jump and keep throwing everything you got at him and you know, yeah. by that time you got his bracelet so you're going to win. Um, there's not, but I will say the final boss design in this game is probably one of my favorites of the 16-bit era. Because for me, like seeing this, uh, like in in pictures and magazines at the time, I felt like it was like really dark and demonic, and it made me think, "Wow!" Like, I mean, Sega is like, I mean, they're they're the console for like you know adults almost. Like Nintendo wouldn't allow this you know demon-looking you know satan type creature on there and then you know you get to super ghouls and ghosts and the boss looks a little bit more like the original game and i don't know i just like the design of this giant you know loki just sitting in a throne just kind of bored and just shooting <laughs> he does he looks bored <laughs> he does yeah well you know he's been sitting there for two playthroughs while you're trying to get the goddess bracelet i mean yeah that's fair yeah but no i just, um, I just I like the i like the way it looks i mean as far as the giant sprite just sitting there it, it reminds me a lot of Castlevania 3 with the final yeah. boss being, you know, sort of that, that hawk bird demon thing sitting on the throne and the platforms moving around, all that stuff. Yep. Yeah, it's it's very iconic. I think it's it's fun. Um, like I said, it's not terribly challenging, but no. to, to no. some degree, that like, that's though, nice because you've been through so much. It's just like, okay, you give me this one. Like, thank you. Yeah. <laughs> but, well, and really, I mean, on the second playthrough, if you've got the goddess bracelet, it's it's actually it's the best weapon in the game because um, you can you can relax a little bit because the when you're shooting um, the animation starts behind you so it will it has a hitbox behind you so it can hit enemies that are right behind you it also I think the blast can hit uh, enemies that are on the ground so you don't have to crouch and then some of the attacks like the first boss the fireballs and stuff if you just shoot your goddess bracelet at it it will just nullify those projectiles. Yeah, I did notice though that what armor you have dictates the range of it. Mm-hmm. Like if you're yeah. na- naked versus silver versus gold, like it goes farther and faster. Um, right. But uh, otherwise, yeah, it's by far the best weapon in the game, uh, other than the slug. You know. <laughs> right, right. Unless, of course, you know you're trucking along and then um, you just randomly pick up the torch, for instance. Yeah, which is enough to make a controller go through your LCD uh-huh. screen. But you know. Yeah, sometimes you always wonder, like, especially if if a weapon appears randomly and you can't, either you can't manage the jump over it, it's like, okay, do I try to kill myself first or do I risk the jump? Because the weapon doesn't disappear off the screen. It's going to be there until you die. Well, and this is a perfect little segue into some tips and tricks, don't you think? Absolutely. Tips and tricks. Okay, so I've got a, a handful here, which was a little bit tough to narrow down which ones I wanted to pick, just because we've got um, 
so many different versions of the game to go through. Mm -hmm. um, the first one that I'll talk about was actually, you know, right in line with what you were just talking about. Um, we were kind of talking about the, the chests and um, getting the goddess bracelet on the second playthrough. Um, it, what The one thing that I noticed is that in the Genesis version, the arcade version, when you're doing your second playthrough, which if this is unclear, like you, you can't get that goddess bracelet until the second game. Right. Um, and if you don't know this game, basically it was kind of the big middle finger to players. Like you played through it, you got to the last boss and they said, Oh, you can't get in here until you have this item. Go back and play the entire game again and right. get the item time. Pretty much um, the entire series does this though. They all did that. Yes. So in the Genesis and the arcade, on your second playthrough, the best thing that I can suggest is get that goddess bracelet in the very first stage in the graveyard, because that's one of the easiest places to find it. Right. Um, as you progress through the game, each stage, the, ch the treasure chests become harder and harder to find. Um, so the graveyard is one of the most consistent places to find it. You don't have near as many uh, enemies to deal with when getting it. So it's, it's easy to get it, and then the question is just maintaining it um, throughout the rest of the game. Um, once you do get it, try to maintain the magic armor, with, or the gold armor, but but don't open any more chests after you get the gold armor, because you know all it's going to have is either the magician or another weapon, which is going to screw you up. Right. So and if you see an enemy with a pot on his head, be careful when you kill him, because right. he might drop an, a weapon right, and exactly. walk right over um, and it also, it helps if you open chests from the right instead of the left, mm -hmm. so that then just in case it is a weapon that you don't want, you're already past it, and you don't have to make that you know difficult jump to try to get over it. Um, for the Master System version, it's a little bit different, because the um, their equivalent of the Goddess Bracelet, I think they called it like the Psychic Crusher or some, some, something like that, mm -hmm. um, it's basically your sixth weapon upgrade. So once you already have the fireball, then you can get the psychic uh, weapon after that. Um, so as you're kind of playing through your first playthrough and then the second playthrough also, my advice is focus on your armor and your boots first, because that's going to get you your mobility, your jumping, and also your hit points. The magic, not really that helpful. So my best recommendation is... Get the armor and the boots first, then your weapons. Don't worry about the helmet until you're on your second playthrough. Um, there is a little bit of an advantage to having the gold helmet, because if you have the psychic uh, weapon, it gives you your final spell, which is a healing spell, which is really nice. Yeah. Um, but otherwise, upgrade, upgrade your helmets last. They're, they're just not that important. Um, next little tip that I had is when it comes to finding these chests, try to jump as often as possible to find them. Mm -hmm. um, that's usually what's going to trigger one showing up. Um, and in the Genesis and the arcade version, like I said, pay attention to the order in which the magician armor or weapons pop out because mm -hmm. it is a pattern. Um, and that way you know this one's going to be a magician. I can just ignore it. This one's going to be a weapon. I don't want a different weapon. This one's going to be armor. I definitely want it. Whatever. Um, for the master system, it's not a predictable pattern. You kind of just have to open them all and hope for the best. Um, yeah. So it's almost completely random then on the master system one. As far as I can tell, if there is a system to it, you know, two playthroughs in a week and a half was not enough for me to learn what it is. But yeah. it it seemed it to be... It might not be because it's probably a memory limitation. Just saying, okay, it's just going to be a random thing as opposed to having a... a set routine 
you know, that's probably the reason for it is just it just didn't have the capacity for it. Yeah, and I mean, it looked like maybe one of those doors showed up one out of every three, one out of every four chests. Mm-hmm. So that's about what you can guess. But yeah, there's there's not a set pattern like, oh, this one was a magician, therefore I know the next one's going to be X. Like yeah. you, you just can't predict that. Um, the other, or the next uh, tip I had was, you know, this is just kind of a strategy for this type of a game where you just have so much, you know, relentless crap flying at you all the time. Um, once you clear a stage or a checkpoint, you don't have to do it ever again. So sometimes it's actually better just to, you know, blitz straight through the end and you know sacrifice your armor if you have to if it gets you to the next area. Um, right. You can take advantage of your temporary invis- invincibility after you get hit. It's it's like if you know that the boss is right over there, just gun it and go for it. Um, mm-hmm. You lose your armor, you have unlimited continue, so who cares? Yeah. Um, so I've, I've I've had to do that more than once, and it's like it feels like the cheap way to go, but you know, they're they're not pulling any punches either, so it's fine. Yeah, that's true. But just be careful if you start playing the arcade version then and use the same strategy, and then you get to the boss with no armor, die, and then you're at the midpoint again. Right. Right. That's happened several times on that because on the the PSP release, um, I think it's Capcom Classics. I think it is. Um, they have the arcade perfect uh, board on there. Okay. Which is way more difficult. Yeah, and I mean, sometimes what you can do in situations like that is, especially in the second half of uh, level five, where you just have the series of bosses, you know, one after another after another, um, what I would do is I'd kill, you know, the first couple, and then I get to the second chest, which I know is an armor upgrade. And if Mm -hmm. I still have my silver armor, I open that chest, it's the gold armor, fine. I don't take it. I leave it sit there. I go up to the next area, which is where there's the two Cyclopses. Fight those guys. If I kill them, great. Then I still have my silver armor. I can go back and get the gold armor and move on. If during that fight with the two Cyclopses, I get hit and I'm now naked, no problem. Mm -hmm. Climb back down the ladder, get the armor, and go back. Um, Because it won't disappear if you leave it behind. And so, yeah, as you kind of keep moving forward, just know that that's still back there if you need that extra, you know, hit point. Sure. I just got to say, I'm I'm liking the thunder and lightning sounds in the background. It's really adding to the uh, uh, ominous feel of this episode. I planned that. I was I was hoping you would appreciate yeah. it. Yeah, that's good. It's good. Uh, okay, so the last two tips that I have are ones that somebody might call a little bit of a cheat, um, but you know, it's fine. You know, I've I've always said that part of the fun of retro gaming is that there's a lot of stuff that's built into the game. And if it's there, it's there. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, these games are meant to be enjoyed. And if you can get through them on your own, that's the true reward. We don't advocate cheating. But if you're just absolutely desperate to see what's on the next level, there is an invincibility mode that's built into almost every one of these games. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a little bit tricky to open and to operate. But in the Genesis mode, or in the Genesis game, uh, from the title screen, if you press start, A-A-A-A, up, down, left, right, and then start the game. Um, you basically enter it into kind of like a, a debugging mode. Mm-hmm. You, can, you can pause the game at any point and press A to activate invincibility. You're invincible from that point forward. Yeah. Um, you can still die if you like fall in a pit or something like that, but you can basically just walk through the game if you want to see what you know that what's beyond that stage that you could never quite get. Mm-hmm. Um, the Amiga also had an invincibility mode where if you would type Karen Broadhurst, 
all capitals, uh, one word as quickly as possible, it would activate it. Um, Master System, good thing this is a podcast. You can re-listen to this if you need to. Uh, from the title screen, press LRR, 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 RL, RL, 1. Then pause the game and hold button 2. When you unpause, you will be invincible. Everybody got that? <laughs> <laughs> this is all recorded, so you're, you're, you're good. But oh, yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, playing the game the real way is obviously the most fun and rewarding, but every now and then it just kind of helps to see, you know, what what's beyond that next door so uh yeah and i would add too that there's two other um kind of useless um tricks i guess but they're kind of interesting nonetheless um on the genesis one so anytime that when you kill a boss and the key flies out if you hold up when you're uh catching the key it triggers a little message that just says nice catch mm-hmm. it doesn't give you any extra points or anything like that it's just just a thing uh yeah there's the other one that's kind of cool. Um, it's on, so you go on the option screen, you pick the last sound effect and the last music track. So I think it's like 26 and 56. And then Something hold, like that, yeah. Yeah, hold left and down and ABC and then hit start. And it changes it to the Japanese version. Uh, so then your title screen, instead of saying Ghoul's a Ghost, would say Daimakemura, uh, which is kind of cool. And I think probably it was just, because this was sort of a launch title in the U.S. Um, and probably for the Mega Drive as well, or at least close to it, um, it probably what they ended up doing is probably just had the Japanese version and the U.S. version on the same cartridge, so that way they could get it there, you know, release it pretty close to simultaneously. But either way, I thought that was kind of cool that that was on there. Yeah, it's it's a fun little you know Easter egg that's kind of hidden in there, and just to mm-hmm. see the, especially back for those you know back in that day, like we live in an era now where playing games from other countries is not that uncommon um sure. but as as far as you know back in 1989 like that wasn't a thing like you yeah. never got to see a japanese version of a game or a european version of a game so to have that in there is like I, i'm sure whoever discovered that was like whoa what the hell did i just find <laughs> right well i mean and down the road later you know you discover that you know you could either take the top off of your genesis to play mega drive games or you could uh, bypass it with um, a game genie, but I don't think at the time that of release, I don't think it was really well known. No, uh, that you could play cart- cartridges from other regions. I mean, hell, when I was a, a kid playing these games, like I wasn't even aware of the fact that there were ver- you know regional differences in different games. Sure. Like, yeah. I knew um, it. I just never, I never knew to you know to bypass that. Well, just like uh, the Super Nintendo, for instance. I mean, there's literally two little tabs inside the cart slot that if you break those off, you can just put a Super Famicom game in and play it with no problem. Yep. You know, just the simplest form of region lock, but then, you know, now you look back on it, it's like, wow, that's really simple. It's like putting a little piece of electrical tape over your VHS, you know? Basically, yeah. <laughs> okay, the last tip and trick that I got this week is uh, um, on the same level as the invincibility codes. Um, this is kind of one that I don't feel as bad using because it's... It, it, it kind of undoes the the fact that you don't have passwords or saves or whatever in the game. There, in the Genesis mode, there is a level select. Um, there's several different codes that you can use to pick which level you want to go to. But basically, what I'll tell you right now is that if on the title screen you hit up, down, left, right, uh, you'll hear a small little chime. And once you do that, the one code I'll give you is if you press um, right and then start, it will take you straight to uh, Loki's castle. Um, 
So if you want to skip past all the other levels, it's not going to take you into his chamber. You still got to do that the old-fashioned way. But um, you want to skip to the last level, I'll at least give you that much. Mm-hmm. Good. So, yep, it's something. Not enough to um, ruin the game, but like I said, just a little bit of fun there. Yeah. So I don't know. How do you feel about cheats like that that are you know things that are built into the game? Is, it, is that fair to use? Yeah, I, I have no problem with it. I mean, it's just it's fun to mess around in these old style games and just, you know, find ways to either uh, break the game or, or cheat it somehow, or even, you know, something like that. If it's a level select or something, obviously it was put in there by the developers, uh, you know, either intentionally or unintentionally. So um, I don't feel it's really cheating in this case. I mean, yeah, if you were struggling with the game, it's nice to be able to uh, just go right to the end and see what the ending is. But you know, again, I think the real reward to this game is just being able to master it and, and uh, you know, play through it, you know, over and over and really quickly. So I don't think it. Yeah, my stance has always been. Yeah, my stance has always been that these games, you know, never pull any punches with you. So, you know, it's fair. Sure. But no, play, play it the real way, too. And, you know, then you get the bragging credit or bragging rights and, you know, street cred and whatever. So, yeah. <laughs> you know, I earned that when you were when we were texting. I said that. Hey, I played through the Master System version, and you're like, wow. <laughs> I know. I was shocked, actually. Because, uh, I mean, I played it a little bit more after, you know, because uh, at first I kind of, I played a little bit of it, and it's like, wow, the controls are really bad, and just whatever. And then started playing a little bit more and upgraded some things, and, you know, then it started to click. But um, it's just not readily apparent at first that that is, you know, uh, a deliberate decision. It just felt like it was like, wow, this is, uh, controls are really poor, but, you know. At least you stuck with it, so then I could find out from there, you know, that it wasn't so much uh, poor programming, but a deliberate decision. Yeah, and you know, maybe I'm a retro gaming apologist, but I have yet to find any game that I would just say is unplayable. You know, maybe Atari 2600, there were a couple that were just really badly programmed, but, you know, challenge is what it is, and I, I accept it. Okay. Well, then uh, we're going to have to have you play Takeshi's Challenge on Famicom sometime. <laughs> and I'll, have to, I'll have to show you the Game Center CX on it because it's damn near impossible. All right, we'll see what happens. It was meant to be, but that's okay. <laughs> so um, overall, then, what are your thoughts as far as um, this game, at least approaching it for the first time? I mean, I, I can't say enough positive things. I, I really can't, which sounds weird because as... As a retro gaming enthusiast, I kind of feel like I've found my favorites. I've spent, you know, three decades or so, you know, honing my list of the games that I absolutely love. And after having that much time of playing through games, it's rare that I find one that I've never played before. And even when I do, you know, the the general idea is that it's like, well, if I haven't played it, it's probably because it might not have been, you know, worth playing. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was really, really shocked to suddenly discover that Here's a game I've never played, but like I said, it very quickly jumped to you know my top list of favorite games. Um, mm-hmm. It's hands down the best in the franchise, I would say. Yeah. Um, and I just think that if if this is the kind of game that you like, like if you like the platformers, the you know unrelenting challenge, uh, difficulty that's just going to make you both pull your hair out, but also smile you know from ear to ear the whole time, then this is. I, I don't know how they can do much better. Um, I kind of want now, you know, to find a way that I can buy the arcade cabinet because uh-huh. you know it would just be so much fun to have this. So oh, yeah, um, 
You just need yeah. to go up to Galloping Ghost and just play it for hours. Oh, do they have that? Of course. Oh, son of a bitch. All right, that's definitely going to happen now. Um, yeah, so it definitely creeped up to my top, you know, or is on the top of my list now. Um, ton of fun. I think that it's it would be hard to do much better. And um, yeah, it'll be on the rotation of, you know, replays mm. without question. So yeah. This is why this podcast is great. I think that uh, it's introducing us to things that you know you and I have not played before. We've already bantered about a couple of games that uh, are favorites of mine that you haven't played. Hopefully, right. they um, have the same. You have the same reaction to them as I did to this. Yeah, and I, I will agree with you. It is probably the best one of the series, uh, just because it it feels so good to play. Um, you know, it doesn't have the double jump. It doesn't have the platforming aspect. Um, it has the ability to shoot up and down, which changes the gameplay a lot. Um, and it really just is fun to just run through and, uh, you know, destroy everything. It just feels good when you get it. And when it clicks, it clicks. Um, I don't mm-hmm. think it's terribly uh, complicated in its systems. I mean, obviously, you have a couple armor upgrades and some magic and some different weapons. And that's really it. Everything else is up to you as the player, uh, you know, to react in time and uh to expect you know where the enemies may appear and uh to just kind of go from there so um, i think that's why i keep coming back to it it's fantastic yep i'm gonna agree so any listeners that are in the same boat go check it out it's Mm -hmm. absolutely worth it yeah and it's not terribly expensive it's you know it's a game that um is you could probably get it for i don't know maybe under twenty dollars on genesis if you need the you know, the physical copy of it. Otherwise, there's plenty of outlets to uh, be able to download it digitally or, um, you know, if you want to seek out the iOS arcade version, I mean, it's out there. So, yeah, yeah. Any any listeners who want to try that out, uh, send us some feedback and let us know how that is because mm-hmm. um, I'd be curious to hear yeah, how it plays. For sure. All right. So um, I think that wraps this one up. Mm-hmm. Perfect timing right there. Right. Um. Yeah, so b- big thumbs up from me, big thumbs up from you. Uh, mm-hmm. Episode four, G- good pick, Wes. You, you earned I'm, your keep. I'm shocked that four episodes in, I found a game that you hadn't played. <laughs> I figured it would have taken like 25 episodes. Like we would have had to start digging into like you know Dizzy's treasure hunt or Fantastic Dizzy or something. <laughs> or Cool Spot. Like I just discovered Cool Spot this week. I never played it. It's actually pretty good. Oh yeah, so. I, I rented that back in the day. That's not too bad. Yeah, I had no idea it was by the same guy who did Earthworm Jim. Makes total sense. That's but. funny because I think I rented them the same week. Had no idea. Huh. That's a topic for another time. So, <laughs> um, if you guys want to find us, of course, we are hosted on geeknerdery.com. Um, Geek Nerdery has um, lots of other good shows. You might, uh, you know, find something to really scratch your itch. Um, I know you do the last horror cast on there. Uh, it's pretty much there's. All things uh, geek and nerdery on there. So uh, check us out on there. Um, you can follow us on Twitter at Duck Graveyard. Um, check out our Facebook page, Graveyard Duck, obviously. Uh, send us an email if you like at graveyardduckpodcast at gmail.com. Uh, have I missed anything? I think so. I think that covers it. That probably covers it. I don't know. There's too much shit to, to remember anymore. You know, at least we don't have a MySpace page or, you know, a AOL chat room, I guess. Yeah, I mean, and, and honestly, if you just go to uh, graveyardduck.com, you can pretty much find links to all of the stuff. It's it's all there. Yeah, of course, that's what I forgot, the website, but that's fine. Uh, but no, check us out on Twitter as well. Um, we tend to do a retro game song of the day and retro game box art of the day just for fun. And 
um, you know, I have a little bit of trivia on there. So we like to have fun with, you know, uh, our love of retro games. So be sure to check that out. Yeah, if we can get the nostalgia juice flowing, that's kind of what we're going for. So mm-hmm. yeah, and uh, we'll have we'll make an announcement pretty soon. But we'll have a, a pretty big uh, nostalgic game for episode five. Uh, so we're both looking forward to that. And uh, yeah, if nothing else, I think that's it for the episode. So uh, this is Wes. And I'm Scott. And remember to hold reset when turning the power off. Game over.